So while the spirit of Antichrist has always been at work and that we've been in the last hour of the last days since Pentecost, I believe we're in the last of the last days. I believe we're in the final minutes of the last hour because we are seeing in our day prophecy being fulfilled for the second coming, which reminds you that the rapture is that much closer. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 13 of our study of the Revelation. This chapter and the prior one introduced us to three individuals. They are the dragon, who is the devil, a beast from the sea, who will be the Antichrist, And this week, we've been looking at a second beast who rises up from the earth and who we've identified as the false prophet. Dr. Brogy has labeled these three as an unholy trinity because they will mimic many of the aspects of the real trinity, namely God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We've also noted that just like Jesus, the Antichrist will perform a variety of miracles, and the false prophet will prompt people to make images of this Antichrist. As we rejoin Dr. Brogy, he addresses the fact that three times the Revelation notes that the Antichrist miraculously survives what should have been a fatal blow to the head. Let's begin today in Revelation 13, verse 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast, the Antichrist. So if the Antichrist is indeed dead, as the simple reading of the three verses in this chapter indicate, how is it, if God alone can resurrect the dead, that the Antichrist is resurrected? Well, some say that the Antichrist is really not resurrected, but what is resurrected here is his kingdom. And of course, we've already noted that the word beast can refer to the literal beast, the literal Antichrist, or the kingdom he represents. And we do that in English. And so I illustrated Hitler bombed England, not literally on an airplane where he dropped the bombs, but Germany, for whom Hitler represented, bombed England. Well, at least I can appreciate that because they don't want to contradict the Word of God and say that since only God can perform a resurrection, that indeed the Antichrist performed it. So they say his kingdom was revived. And of course, the verse they appeal to is John 5, 21. Jesus said, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he pleases. And we noted last time in John 5 that this whole chapter, or most of it, is a defense for his deity. And one of his arguments is, men will know that I am God because I can do only what God does. Nonetheless, I don't think this is a kingdom for two reasons I noted already. The possessive pronoun his that is used, and then the relative pronoun whose in verse 12. And that refers, I think, not in this case to a kingdom, but to a person. So how do we reconcile that this man came back to life? Well, if you don't embrace that his kingdom is being resurrected, you have two choices. Either this was a fake miracle... Or this was a real, genuine miracle. Let me first say, of course, any miracle that Satan does is a fake miracle in the sense that it doesn't originate from 
Satan, uh, from God, but it originates from Satan. So in that sense, even supernatural acts of power done by Satan in that sense are fakes. And Jesus said, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to mislead. But understand that when the case is made that this is a fake miracle, the case that is, not, that is being made is that it didn't happen at all. Not that there was some source of evil power, but he fooled the world and he made people think that he was really dead, but he wasn't dead. And of course, they use the if statement of verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain argument. It was not really slain. It was as if it had been slain. Well, that's not the intent of the Greek, because this is what we call a first-class conditional statement. If you are the Son of God, not questioning that he was, since you are the Son of God, turn these rocks into bread. And even if you don't know Greek, you could figure it out from English, because he has already said in chapter 5 and verse 6, I saw between the throne and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. Same exact terminology. Was Jesus dead? Yes. He had all the marks of death, but he was also raised. This man will bear all the marks of real death. It will say his fatal wound. It's a fatal wound was healed. There's an assassination attempt. And so verse 4 tells us, they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? It's this miracle of the Antichrist coming back to life that is going to convince the world that he is God. This is Satan's finest hour where the world worships him through his fake Christ. Now, I told you last time, God certainly could have performed a miracle. He could have, I suppose, raised the Antichrist from the dead. God could have done it. And then some would say, well, there it is. There's God doing the miracle and not Satan. And so they would say that's consistent and only God can raise people from the dead. But I don't think that's what's in view here. Because what is elicited from all, elicited from all of this is idolatry. And I don't think God wanted to promote idolatry. No, I think this man was raised from the dead. It's not a fake miracle. But God used Satan to do it. He allowed Satan to do it. Remember, Luther had it right when he said the devil is God's devil. We studied that last week in Job chapter 1, how the devil was given power to bring a tornado on Job's home to wipe out his house and all his children. The devil was given power to put boils all over Job's body. The fake magicians there in Egypt were given power by the evil one to turn water into blood and their staffs into serpents. And of course, we see unbelievers just before they are banished into the lake of fire who are also credited with doing miracles. Do you remember that? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Many will say to me on the last day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Yes, they did. It's a rhetorical statement. They did that. We'd say today, that is a spirit-filled ministry. They preached in his name. They cast out demons in his name. They did men of God, men and women of God. They thought God was doing miracles through them. But it was the devil. Jesus will say, I never knew you. Not I once knew you. 
I never, ever, ever had a relationship with you because that's what eternal life is, that they might know you, the only true God, in Christ whom you have sent. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, please understand, whatever position faithful expositors take, no one can deny that even an unbeliever can perform a miracle and that Satan can empower them and deceive people through them. However, when Satan raises the Antichrist from the dead, this is a very different kind of miracle, and it in no way mitigates against the truth of John chapter 5. Now, if you were with me in the opening sermon in the Revelation, we studied eight people who were raised from the dead. Elijah raised someone from the dead. Elisha raised someone from the dead. We, there are three in the Old Testament. There are five in the New Testament. Jesus raised someone from the dead. Peter raised someone from the dead. Paul raised someone from the dead. Does that mean that Elijah and Elisha or Peter or Paul were doing something that only God can do? Certainly not. Because when they did those raising from the dead, it's very different from the ultimate kind that only God can do. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but not resurrected from the dead. Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, that he is the firstborn from the dead. The Antichrist will have a raising from the dead, but not a resurrected for, resurrection from the dead. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to do. And hours coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, some will come to a resurrection of life to walk on streets of gold in a new resurrected body, and others will come to a resurrection of death to live in the flames of hell. But Jesus is the first ever to come out in a forever body. But this man is supernaturally healed. His fatal wound was healed. He's really, really dead. And Satan does a miracle, whacking at the very foundations of true biblical faith that most people will be totally ignorant of, and they will follow after this man. Listen, verse 14. He deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs that were given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had his womb. They, they've got their little shrines and their houses everywhere. Verse 15, and it was given to him, this false prophet, to give breath to the same image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as would not worship the beast to be killed. Now, the rest of the Bible tells us that this specific event where this statue is erected, where this piece of stone or whatever it's made out of will literally speak, will be in a rebuilt second temple. Some of you were th with me in Israel a few months ago, and we went to the Temple Institute, and we learned how deeply committed the Jewish people are. 35% of all the Jews in Israel are religious in nature. They're committed Jews of one sort or to one degree of another. But the Jewish people are deeply committed to the rebuilding of the temple. All of the architectural plans are done. We saw them all spread out in a casing. All the furniture has been reproduced. All the temple garbs, garments have been manufactured. They're even training men whom they believe to be Levi's, whom God will definitively identify when he raises up the 144,000, but uh, to, to perform the sacrifices. And there we were on Independence Day, May the 14th, 
celebrating the 70th anniversary of Israel, and we saw this video. All through the streets that day, men sharing and chanting that very phrase, we want him to rebuild the temple, into there we will ascend. We want him to rebuild the temple, into there we will ascend. The Bible is clear. There's coming a third temple. It has to be completed by the midpoint of the tribulation because it's in the middle that the abomination of desolation will take place. Paul says the Antichrist will oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So he takes his place in the seat of the temple displaying himself to be God. And when this happens, there's going to be an event associated with it that's going to open wide the eyes of the Jews. It's given in verse 15. And it was given to him, the false prophet, to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. When that happens, and he argues for everyone to have their own little image in their home, the Jews are going to know this man cannot be God's man. Why? Because he's going to be breaking the fourth commandment, or the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above and on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. They're going to realize that what is happening here is sheer idolatry and that this antichrist is a fake Christ. And we're going to see that they're going to believe that Yeshua is Lord, they will look on him whom they have pierced in genuine remorse in faith. But listen, there's coming the crowning act of this false prophet that Satan is going to use. And in that rebuilt temple, the Antichrist will come in. He'll declare himself to be God and there'll be a miracle that will accompany it where a stone or whatever kind of object it is will literally live and breathe. And people will worship the dragon through the beast as the false prophet points men to him. Now, what does all this mean for us today? Let me make some simple applications before we leave. And let me ask these, questions, these applications in the form of a question. Number one, how can you tell if a spiritual leader is from God or from Satan? I mean, how can you tell if a spiritual leader is from God or from Satan? I mean, there are people who come, they, 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 they come with the gentleness of a lamb. They're mild, they're meek, they're like a Joel Steen. They're, they're just, that's the way they come. And there are many who are deceived by that man. I'm going to analyze this theology for you on a Sunday morning. See, most Christians are so blind, they know so little Scripture today, they think he's a Christian. He's not. I don't think it's by accident that the largest church in the United States is led by a false prophet. But how do you know whether a man is really a man of God or from the devil? Well, John, again, will write in his first epistle, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. He'll write in 2 John 1.7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. So God warns that there are deceivers in the world, 
and they will grow and expand at the end of time, and they will deny that Jesus is God in human flesh. And the word deceiver implies much more than their teaching. If you know John's three epistles, it also deals with the fact that they will lead people into false living. Why? Because what you believe always dictates how you behave. For many deceivers, he says, has gone out into the world. And if you know the context of the verse, he's talking about people who were in the church, but they will go out from the church and they will teach what is false. They will deny the faith delivered to the saints once for all. In 1 John 2, 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. How do we know that these people who were members of some evangelical church were not really of us, never really to be saved to begin with? For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. We call it perseverance. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. You're not saved by perseverance, but if you are saved, you will persevere. And a day is coming when many of God's people lack spiritual discernment. And so in February of 2015, Rob Bell, who denies the virgin birth, stood and made a definitive statement, a church that does not support same-sex marriage will continue to become more and more irrelevant. And then in 2016, he has given the pulpit of the Willow Creek Community Church one of the larger churches in America that pastors, young guys all across America are trying to mimic because they want a big crowd like Bill Hybels. I mentioned to you a month ago one of the large evangelical churches in D.C., which is also a member of the Willow Creek Association. They're promoting one of their summer small groups with these words. If you are looking to have fun, grow in your relationship with Christ, and build community together as an LGBTQ plus and same-sex attracted person, this group is for you. This group will be welcoming space across theological differences, seeking to worship together. Share stories with one another and fellowship throughout the summer. Please join us. You will be welcome and valued just as you are. This is a support group so that gay Christians can grow, not repent, but grow and find support with each other. Maybe they should offer small group support groups for fornicators. You know, uh, yeah, we, we like to practice premarital sex and we want to get together and discuss this. Or maybe we need a small group for adulterers or murderers, LGBT. Suppose the person were transgender. Suppose a transgender person wanted to join this church. Would they be welcome? Of course. They would be welcome if they repented and put their faith in Jesus. In one mark, I would know that they repented and put faith in Jesus, is that they would turn from saying, I'm a woman when God created me as a man, and I'd go back to being a man. That's what they would do. Now, I don't know that they could redo the operation. I don't know enough about it. But I know, my friend, that you cannot live and harbor these feelings as good feelings and say that you've met the living God. What are they doing? They're opening the door to fully embrace within five years, you watch it, the whole LGBTQ lifestyle plus. I mean, I'm not, you know... 
What if someone practices bestiality, one of the sins mentioned in the Bible? They say, well, you know, I, I need a support group. You know, I, I'm not going to practice it, but I just need a support group, you know. Listen, that's evil. Evil, 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 evil. Paul said this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Not fornicators, not idolaters, not adulterers, not effeminate, nor homosexuals shall inherit the kingdom of God. You're not loving the homosexual to say, well, God made you this way and it's okay for you to be that way. You're doing them great harm. You're showing them the opposite of love. Because when you lift up the law of God, which is a tutor to bring people to faith in Christ, their sin is revealed that they might look in the mirror of God's Word and see their dirty soul and their need for a Savior. But the next verse is refreshing. And such were some of you, former Southern Baptist theological seminary professor. Nate Collins taught there for a number of years. Now, he's not there anymore. But he spearheaded a conference we just had 10 days ago in evangelicalism in one of the largest PCA churches. The PCA has been considered the conservative, Bible-believing Presbyterians in America. And it was called the Revoice Conference. And of course, this speaker, Nate Collins, described himself as a married, same-sex attracted gay man. And in his message, he said, is it possible that gender and sexual minorities living lives of costly obedience are themselves a prophetic call to the church to abandon idolatrous attitudes towards the nuclear family, towards sexual pleasure? If so, then we are prophets. He's a prophet, all right. He's a false prophet. Because what he is saying, he said, no, no, understand, I want to be fair to this guy. See, you got two camps in this whole thing. You got your far left liberal theologians who say, we endorse this thing fully. And you got all these mainline denominations. But now you got this new camp in evangelicalism who says, well, we believe you can be same-sex attracted towards a person, and it's okay to have those feelings, and they need to be uh, valued because of the way God made them, as long as you don't act on it. And so that's what this fellow says. I'm telling you what the devil's doing. He is opening the door for evangelicals to accept what God calls evil. And so this conference, the Revoice Conference, is advertised as supporting, encouraging, and empowering gay, lesbian, same-sex attracted, and other LGBT Christians so they can flourish while observing the historical Christian doctrine of marriage and sexuality. This should not have been the Revoice Conference. This should have been the Repent Conference. But you see, American evangelicalism is so stupefied with these things because they are ignorant. Why? Because expository preaching no longer exists. What I do on a Sunday morning is becoming more and more of a rarity. And the devil is rejoicing because he wants to keep God's people in the dark. And churches today, more and more, they're trying to win the world by becoming like the world. So this large mega church in D.C., they don't want to turn off the millennial where the average millennial thinks LGBTQ lifestyle is valued and should be accepted. And by the way, if you're following people like that on Facebook, don't like that they've come out. Don't like it. Because you are endorsing evil if you are doing that. Think your way through this. Don't be blind. 
If you want to follow them, great. And you want to love them into the kingdom, great. But don't affirm their evil. And so we have all these churches where we're trying to be cool. I mean, even the names. I looked at some of the names of churches. Gravity, that's the name of a church. Refuel, Energize, Epic, Catalyst, Encounter. Cool names to win the world. We don't win the world by becoming like the world. It's our different nature from the world that God wants to use to bring people to Christ. I'm just tired. I'm tired of these evangelical so-called born-again Christians who do not see the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel changes a person and can sanctify a person and make a person a different kind of person. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Secondly, how do you protect you and your family from these false spiritual teachers? How do you protect your family? Listen, as we approach the end of the age, the spirit of Antichrist is only going to grow, and you need to protect your family, and the way to prepare is by getting your head in this book. It takes spiritual vigilance. It takes doctrinal health. Paul says to Titus that as a pastor, he is to be holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. So that he will be able to both exhort sound in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. A person who is a pastor is to lead by example, holding fast the word of God. But you see, we live in a day where people don't want to hold fast, neither pastor nor member, to the word of God. What they want to hold fast to is experience. And so I hear this speaker talking about having Jesus bumps and Holy Ghost bumps. Look, I'm not against emotion, but understand, please, that your emotion has no authority. Any emotion you have needs to be under the authority of God's Word. And so now we've got all these people. You know, I watched this guy on TV a couple of months ago. He said, wait a minute, God's telling me there's somebody out there in the audience, and he's got, you know, a bad liver or whatever. Like, he's getting a text message, an email from heaven. That is dangerous. And it is so naive. Jesus is calling. I better write this down. And so you have these women speakers who put God's word in the first person as if they have a direct line from heaven. It may make you feel good and make you feel spiritual. But my friend, it is evil. It is wrong. It is deception. And the greatest deception by experience that is yet to come is going to come through this man, the false prophet, who will experientially make a statue speak. Get your head in the book. Two reasons. So that you may be able to both exhort in sound doctrine. Healthy doctrine. It's a medical term. That you might have good doctrinal health. And secondly, so that you can refute those who contradict. You know what is false so you can correct it with truth. And that's not just the pastor's job. That's the job, Hebrews 5.12, of every born-again, blood-bought child of God. Now, if you're here today and you've never met Jesus, I want to tell you that if you keep putting him off and delaying it, there will come a time when you'll not be able to respond. And you will believe the deceptive lies that are going to come across this world. So come to Christ. Come to him today. Today is the day to be saved. To listen again to today's study, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org.
You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV34. Search the Scriptures is committed to introducing people to Christ and to growing Christians in their knowledge of their Savior. You can join in this mission through a one-time or a recurring gift. Just call 877-787-7478 or click the Give button online at searchthescriptures.org or using the Search the Scriptures app. Thank you. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll begin a look at the Mark of the Beast. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.